Sports Pan lives here on ESPN-UP. Tanner Hoops with you. Glad to have you along. I tell you what, ladies and gentlemen, it has been a busy day. It's been a productive day, but I've been on my feet. I've been running around. It is nice to finally sit down, take a load off, and talk with you guys. Talk sports for the final hour of the workday, and we're glad to have you right here on ESPN-UP. Always welcome here. I tell you what, a lot to get to today. We've got baseball tonight. By the way, you can hear it here on ESPN-UP. Join us for the National League Wild Card game as the Brewers take on the Washington Nationals. It's going to be a fun one. Got the Brewers surging minus Yelich going up against a 90-plus win Washington team. It is going to be a fun one. But I tell you what, we've got a lot of hockey to talk to because hockey is back. As of tomorrow night, NHL hockey is back for real not just hockeyville but it is back in the regular season sense but i want to start by going out to california here just for a moment because this new bill that's officially been enacted officially been signed into law even though it doesn't take effect for another four years is fascinating and there's a real discussion to be had here no matter what side of it you're on in case you missed it let me give you the short summary the recap Gavin Newsom, governor of California, yesterday signed into law a bill that would allow college athletes in that state to be able to profit off their likeness, autograph, things like that. I don't like the name of this bill. It's something to the effect of pay to play. I don't like that in the sense that it makes it sound like college athletes are getting paid by the school, that they're getting paid to go there and play sports, to be student athletes, when in fact, there is no salary. There is no contract that is being given that says each player has to receive X amount of money. What is happening here is if the player has the opportunity to make money via jersey sales, autographs, likeness in a video game, whatever it may be, the player is allowed to profit, to make a financial gain from that sale. It does not guarantee that every player is going to get a stipend or some type of financial compensation. That's not the argument here. What I like about this is that I believe players should absolutely be able to profit off their autograph likeness. Like if they're in a video game, I want them to bring back the NSA video games. It's been a long time since I had one. I think five years now is the last one. If they have an action figure of them, if they have a jersey sale, something like that, a player should be able to profit off that. The school's doing so, so why shouldn't the player? Now, paying a player outright, that's a completely different thing. And I'm not saying I'm against it, but I'm not for that. Not yet, right now. But absolutely, I have no problem with a player profiting off their own likeness. If the school is willing to do that, then the player should have the right to do that. What I don't like about this is that one state went out and did it on their own. But I am starting to come around to it after seeing how the rest of the world is reacting to it. Let me explain. California had every right to do this as a state. The NCA then has the right to ban any California school from postseason participation and sanction them any way they see fit as long as the NCA is the governing body of college athletics in this country. Now, will the NCAA actually ban California schools from March Madness, from playing in the college football playoff? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. It won't happen. And California knew that going into it. They called the NCAA's bluff on this. So while I think this is a good idea, I was worried about how it happened. I wish this was something that was mandated at the federal level. Now that I'm seeing it, now it looks like California started getting the ball rolling. Now I'm starting to come around to it because other states are having this conversation. Kentucky, I think, is having it now. Georgia, 
there are a few different states that are all starting to have these kind of conversations. In fact, this has reached the U.S. Congress, and they are expected to rule on it at some point in the near future. So while this started as California seemingly taking rogue action, it now looks like it's gaining traction at the federal level, which is what I want. Because I want every state to be on the same playing field. Not California having a clear advantage in recruiting because they are going to get the best of the blue chip five-star recruits that want to go to California because they can make a profit while in college. They can profit off their autograph likeness, etc. You can't do that elsewhere. So schools like USC, UCLA, Cal, they are all going to have a decisive advantage when it comes to recruiting. Especially when Urban Meyer goes out to USC. <laughs> he takes that job out there. But I tell you what, those are some things that I like and don't like about this bill. But we should look at it from both sides of the equation. Tim Tebow, who I got to say is one of my favorite people, one of the people I admire most in all the sports, had a really interesting take on it. I'm sure you've heard this by now because it's not new audio. But in case you missed it, I want to play this for you because Tim Tebow is decidedly against what is going on in California right now. So it's a slippery slope and the athletes won't be as exploited anymore as though boosters aren't already incentivizing people to do it, but behind closed doors? I mean, I don't understand what the problem is. Why can't they make profit off their likeness? Well, then it just becomes the NFL. Now it's just who has the most money, who's going to pay them the most. And I think you take a, a lot of the, um, the authenticity and the realness in college football away. And are there people doing things that are illegal? Of course. But we're not going to set the standard for the people that are doing it the wrong way. We're going to set the standard for the people that are doing it the right way. And, and, and of course, there's, there's people that are going to... Um, Try to go around and sneak and cheat. And that's been happening in college football. That's why we have to punish them. That's why we have rules. Are we going to follow the rules? And if we do it the right way, then college football is going to still be the best game in the U.S. Because that's, people are passionate about it. And, and they love it. Look at the ratings. People care about it. And I think if you start paying people, I think it changes the authenticity and the realness and the passion of college football. Tim, I can, Tim, I can respect where you're coming from, man. And I, and, and I, I don't understand. I, I respectfully disagree only from this perspective. And I want to get your, your, your response to this. I'm of the mindset that we live in America. We live in a capitalistic society. And I think that the utopic, the, the utopic point of view or perspective that people like yourself and others may be looking for, that equal level playing field where everybody gets treated the same, that simply is not reality. There are people who are elite who deserve more than those who are not. And when you have in college football a Power Five conference with their television deals and things of that nature, and you compare them to the smaller or the mid-majors or whatever, of course there are people who have an advantage. Why apologize or hide from that reality? You, you know, I, I feel like I have a little credibility and knowledge about this because when I, was at the, when I was at the University of Florida, I think my jersey was one of the top-selling jerseys around the world. Uh, it was like Kobe, LeBron, and then I was right behind them, and I didn't make a dollar from it, but nor did I want to because I knew going into college what, 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 it, um, what it was all about. I knew going to Florida, my dream school, where I wanted to go, the passion for it, and if I could support my team, support my college, support my university, that's what it's all about, but now we're changing it from us, from we, from my university, from being an alumni where I care, which makes college football and college sports special, to then, okay, it's not about us, it's not about we, it's just about me. And yes, I know we live in a selfish culture where it's all about us, but we're just adding and piling it onto that, mm. where it changes what's special about college football. Tim. We turn it into the NFL, where who has the most money, that's where you go. 
That's why people are more passionate about college sports than they are about NFL. That's why the, 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 um, the stadiums are bigger in college than they are in the NFL. Because it's about your team. It's about your university. It's about where my family wanted to go. It's about where my grandfather had a dream of seeing Florida win an SEC championship. And you're taking that away so that young kids can earn a dollar. And that's just not where I feel like college football needs to go. That's fair, There's that man. opportunity in the NFL, that's but fair. not in college football. I know that was rather lengthy, but there was a lot of good stuff there. That was Tim Tebow on first take with Stephen A. Smith and Max Kellerman a couple of weeks ago. I tell you what, first and foremost, do you think Tim Tebow knows how much money he left off the table by not profiting off his own likeness at Florida? I don't know. It's just something to think about. I want to say this, though. I respect where he's coming from. I don't totally agree with what Tebow said. I agree with maybe like 15% of it, something like that. And I get the sentiment. I really do. That in college sports, it should be about passion for your school, university, having a sense of pride there. It shouldn't be like the NFL, where everything's about money and you can essentially bring free agency to college football. I like that. I personally like that. And I see why Tebow likes that. And I don't judge him for that. I respectfully disagree with his overall viewpoint there. Because there were a few things there that I certainly don't agree with. Probably about 90, 100%, something like that. One being that people are passionate about college football more than the NFL because the athletes are amateurs. Ladies and gentlemen, I am a die-hard University of Notre Dame fan. And I tell you what, whether Ian Book makes $50 signing an autograph after a game will not affect my love for Notre Dame one way or the other. Just the same way I'm sure that if Shea Patterson was signing an autograph, that it wouldn't affect your love for Michigan football. Or if Brian Lewerke profits off being in a video game, it won't affect your love for Michigan State football. Or Jonathan Taylor at Wisconsin. Or Northern Michigan or Michigan Tech or any school that you love. It doesn't matter to me. It doesn't matter to me if the athlete at the place that I love is making money or not. I'm still going to be a diehard fan. That has nothing to do with it. I don't agree with that, with what Tebow said there. The other thing that I would say to Tebow is that not everybody shares your background. Not everybody comes from the same place that you are. Now, I'm not going to call Tebow privileged, but he's certainly not been through the financial struggles that a lot of the guys that he played with at Florida have gone through. And there are people that are going out there calling Tebow racist, saying stuff like this. If you don't agree with something in 2019, you label it racist. Cancel culture kicks in after that. And I don't think Tebow's being racist here because poverty is not a racial issue. But people want to pin that on Tebow because he doesn't fully understand the background of so many of his college teammates who could have used the money that Tebow could have made in college or guys that would be able to profit off their likeness in college by selling their memorabilia. So in that sense, no, I don't agree with Tebow here. I know where he's coming from. I think that he has the purest intentions when he made that point, but I personally don't agree with it. There are a few other outspoken critics that are in the media, high-profile ones at that, that don't like what's going on in California right now and what may be extending to the rest of the country. Darren Rovell, popular account on Twitter. He's done some work for us here on ESPN. Awesome from business perspective, legal perspectives, things of that nature. Yeah, he's not a fan of what's going on in California right now. He tweeted earlier this morning, quote, I'm not arguing for or against college athlete endorsements, but this is what comes with it. One, the end of the NCAA. Two, fewer rules, more cheating. 
Three, complete professionalization of college sports. Players won't be tied to academics, likely won't need to go to class. I tell you what, Darren is looking at this, not with the glass half empty, but the glass completely gone, shattered on the floor. The glass hadn't been touched in years. This is a dystopian, worst-case scenario way to look at what's going on here. To his first point, it does not mean the end of the NCAA. This is going to force the NCAA to evolve and to adapt to modern culture. Number two, fewer rules, more cheating. Again, you can't expect the same rules that were put in place, what, in the 60s, 70s, 80s, long before this generation was even born, and expect what they did back then to apply now. Yeah, but Darren does introduce a really interesting point, cheating in college sports. And there's not a lot of that going on right now because college sports is one of the most pure markets out there, right? His third point is professionalization of college athletics that players won't even need to go to class. This is where it's up to the school to set their own academic standards, what qualifies you to be an athlete at the collegiate level, as they do right now. The NCAA does not determine what makes an athlete eligible in terms of grades. At Notre Dame, the standards are a lot different than a school like Alabama, academically. The academic standards at Harvard or Stanford are not the same as Georgia or Clemson. Again, this falls on the school. The school is tasked with stepping up and taking responsibility here. Nothing new than what they do right now. It's all about evolving and changing. We're changing as a culture, and the NCAA, as the governing body of college athletics, needs to change with it. I tell you what, let's take our first time out. When we come back, let's dive into a little baseball because the second season starts tonight. Just realize it's October. Officially October 2019, postseason baseball with it. We'll break it down next on ESPN-UP. Check out the UP's live and local sports talk show, The Sports Pen. Weekday afternoons at 4 on ESPN-UP and on the ESPN-UP app. Welcome back to The Sports Pen. Tanner Hoops with you. Glad to have you along. Moving into some baseball because that's what will be here tonight on ESPN-UP. Brewers and Nationals first pitch is set for 8.08. Brandon Woodruff, Max Scherzer, the pitching matchup as Milwaukee with their improbable Yelichless run to the postseason looking to keep it alive and move on to take on the Dodgers in the NLDS. We're going to talk some baseball, but I've got a little bit of football I want to bring up to you here quickly. And I want to start with this. FPI, Football Power Index, came out with their five most likely Super Bowl matchups. We just finished week four, and we're already thinking Super Bowl. But FPI is. And they gave us the five most likely Super Bowl matchups based on what we know so far. I tell you what, if you would have told me three, four of these, almost all of them, then I would have just said you were crazy before the season. It is amazing how things have worked out so far. Let me not hold you in suspense. Let me give you the list and let you think for yourself. Number five on the list just a little over 7% likelihood, according to FPI, but still, it's fifth most likely. Chiefs versus 49ers in the Super Bowl. Chiefs doesn't surprise me. 49ers does. Four weeks into the year, and they are the only unbeaten NFC team, just like all of us thought. Number four, still around the 7% range, just a little bit more than the fifth option. You have Patriots and Rams, a repeat of last year's Super Bowl. Just a little over 7% chance, according to FBI, that we get that again. That is the fourth most likely Super Bowl matchup after four weeks. Third most likely matchup, about 7.5% likely. Patriots, 
49ers. Again, 49ers up there. 49ers are part of one of the third most likely Super Bowl matchups, according to FPI. Who would have ever thought that four weeks ago? Number two on their list, just under 8%, Chiefs-Cowboys. How about that? Chiefs-Cowboys. A few weeks ago, maybe you thought the Cowboys could make a run like this, depending if they had Ezekiel Elliott or not, if he would end his holdout. Chiefs, we thought, have a chance of being there. But the Cowboys, can they go this far? FBI thinks they can. And the number one most likely Super Bowl matchup after four weeks, according to Football Power Index, this one has an 8% chance of happening, which again is the most, Patriots and Cowboys. Who would America root for? Who would America root against in that one? Patriots and Cowboys. Most of the country would just hate that. I think most of the country would not turn on the Super Bowl that night. But I tell you what, according to FPI, those are the five most likely Super Bowl matchups after four weeks. By the way, stat of the day, four weeks into the year, we have eight rookie head coaches this year. Four of them are still looking for their first win four games into the season. That would be Cliff Kingsbury, Brian Flores, Vic Fangio, and Zach Taylor. This is the first time in NFL history that we have ever had that many rookie coaches still looking for their first win after four weeks. Three of them are 0-4. Kingsbury is 0-3-1. I tell you what, very likely one of those teams will get their first win this weekend because Arizona plays Cincinnati. Kingsbury against Zach Taylor, unless, of course, we get another tie. Let's hope not. No more ties in football. It's embarrassing we have that as it is. I tell you what, though, baseball. It just hit me during that last segment as I was going to the break. It's October. I can't believe it. It's October. Where's 2019 gone? I sound like a broken record when I say that, but really, where has this year gone? It's already October, and it's already time for playoff baseball. So 10 teams remain, and tonight, the postseason gets started. After tonight, there will be nine left, and after tomorrow, eight. By the way, ESPN-UP is your home for the Major League Baseball playoffs all October long. Every second of the action is yours with ESPN-UP, ESPNUP.com, and the ESPN-UP app. No blackouts, no nothing. Be sure to tune in for Major League Baseball. If you're on the road, not able to get to a TV, ESPN-UP is your answer. And that starts tonight with the Brewers and the Nationals, which will be a fun one. I tell you what. This is a coin flip for me. And in a coin flip game, I usually like to go with the home team. Let's look at the pitching matchup. You have Max Scherzer in a one-game playoff. That should be a no-brainer. It doesn't matter who they're playing, who's on the other side. It shouldn't matter. When you have Max Scherzer in a win-or-die situation, that should be enough. And yet, I think I'm going to pick the Brewers in this one. What they've been able to do rallying without Christian Yelich has been nothing short of amazing. As we know, the postseason has never been kind to the Washington Nationals. Milwaukee knows how to win in the postseason. Craig Council seemed to figure something out last year that helped Milwaukee reassert itself as one of those October baseball teams. The Nationals have yet to do that. I know it's a different group. They don't have Bryce Harper. They've got those young studs like Soto and Rendon, guys that they're excited about and they should be excited about. But everything you've done up to this point really gets thrown out the window. It means nothing. At this point, it's who's playing the hottest baseball. And I'm not saying Washington hasn't been playing good baseball. You have to down the stretch to get into the postseason. 
But how can you say that they're playing better baseball than Milwaukee, where they just lost maybe the two-time MVP? Maybe Christian Yelich could have got MVP for the second straight year in a row. I don't think he will anymore. But how can you say that they lose him in the final couple weeks of the season, go like 14-2 and over the final 16 games or whatever they did to get into the playoffs and say that they're not the hottest team in baseball entering the postseason? To me, I'm going to take Milwaukee in this one. I I know my rule is coin flip, you go with the home team. But I'm going to go with Milwaukee just because of the level of baseball that they're playing. I don't give Milwaukee much of a chance against the Dodgers. I don't know a lot of people who do. I think Washington would be a better series. Washington has the pitching where they could put up a good fight against the Dodgers in the NLDS. That being said, there is no pressure on Milwaukee going into this game. All of the pressure is on Washington. Because Washington, with the expectations that they've had coming into this season, and then they were fading away when they were 19-31, then they got back, winning 90 games this year. That'll do it to you. I'm just not sure how much I trust Washington to withstand the pressure. They've never done it in the postseason when they've had much less pressure on them than they do now. They just offered Rendon a seven-year, $210 million deal. At least we know it's going to be worth $210 million minimum. We don't know the exact details yet. That's their biggest pressure point this offseason. We'll be re-signing Rendon, and they know they've got to spend. They know they've got to spend because he can fetch a nice price tag about anywhere else, and you need to keep him around. He is the new Bryce Harper. He might even be better than Bryce Harper. I think he very well could be, probably will be, as he develops through his career. You've got to keep him around, but that means you have less money going around. And a lot of those young studs you've got on your team right now you're excited about, if you're going to pay Rendon, you're not going to be able to bring them back. Not because it's a salary cap issue. There is no salary cap in baseball, but because Washington just doesn't have that financial stability. That's why the pressure is on Washington to win now. And in a one-game winner-go-home situation, playing a team that just got into the postseason by winning like 14 of their last 16 without their best player, maybe the best player in baseball... I'm taking Milwaukee in that game. That is coming up tonight here on ESPN-UP. Of course, we have the A's and Rays also on ESPN-UP tomorrow night, and that's going to be a fun one as well. And I'm still waiting to see who I'm going to pick in that one. I still don't know. I'm going to make that decision tomorrow on air for you. I tell you what, I neglected to do this, and we'll do this here before we hit the break, the results of ESPN-UP Pick'em four weeks into the season. I tell you what, a good week for me. I moved into first place at 13-7 and overall. I picked the Giants, Jags, and Saints all to win. I also picked Green Bay and Cincinnati. Those were incorrect. So I'm on top at 13-7. and Ryan Steeg is at 12-8. and Jake Durant and Tyree Smith are both 11-9. and And John Michael Hoefling's at 10-10. and So we're all 500 or better. Yeah, see, we're sports guys for a reason. I tell you what, that is Pick'em as we play here every week here on ESPN-UP during the NFL football season. I tell you what, coming up, we're going to switch to hockey. We're going to talk puck for the rest of the day. I've got some audio I want to play for you. That's coming up next on ESPN-UP. Check out the UP's live and local sports talk show, The Sports Pen. Weekday afternoons at 4 on ESPN-UP and on the ESPN-UP app. Welcome back to The Sports Pen on ESPN-UP. Tanner Hoops with you. Glad to have you along. We're going to get to some hockey talk for the final half hour of the show, but first, your Sports Center update. San Jose Sharks forward Evander Kane has been suspended three games for a 
abuse of an official. The Sharks open the season tomorrow night in Vegas. Marquette native Adam Hammery will be the right field umpire for tomorrow night's American League wildcard game. How about that? Friend of the show? It's been on here before. Adam Hammery up the right field line umpiring tomorrow night's A's Rays contest. And finally, more American presidents have been born in October than any other month. That is your Sports Center update. Tanner Hoops with you. Glad you're with us as always. Well, yesterday, the first NCAA men's ice hockey poll came out. I tell you what, let's give you the rankings. Let's count down from 10 to 1. Coming in at number 10, coming off a year in which they went 26, 11, and 2, is Clarkson. Number 9, they finished 23, 14, and 3, the reigning Big Ten tournament champions, Notre Dame. Number 8, they were 26-10-2 last year, the Q, Quinnipiac. Number 7, coming off a 24-12-6 year, the Providence Friars. Number 6, they won 30 games, they went 36-3, but they were bounced in the first round of the tournament, St. Cloud State. Now we're on to the top 5. They are coming off a year in which they went 21-11-4, Cornell the Big Red. They're on Northern schedule this year, by the way. Number 4. Big season for them last year. They went 31-10, and 10, the UMass Minutemen. Number three, with one first-place vote, they're coming off a 32-8-2 season, Minnesota State of Mankato. The Mavericks got a first-place vote. The team that's in second did not. Coming off a 24-12-5 season, the Denver Pioneers. And the top-ranked team in college hockey this year with 49 of the 50 first-place votes. 29-11-2 last year, the two-time defending NCAA national champions, the Minnesota Duluth Bulldogs. So those are the top 10 in the preseason college hockey poll. 1 through 5, Duluth, Denver, Minnesota State, UMass, and Cornell. 6 through 10, St. Cloud, Providence, Quinnipiac, Notre Dame, and Clarkson. 11 through 15, Boston College, Ohio State, Penn State, Western Michigan, and Northeastern. 16 through 20, how about Wisconsin? The Badgers coming off a 14, 18, and 5 year. They're ranked 16th to start this season. They're followed by Bowling Green, North Dakota, Harvard, and Arizona State making up the top 20. A few other notables, Minnesota was the team that was receiving the most votes that didn't get into the top 20. They're followed by American International coming off the best season in school history, Boston U, UMass Lowell, and then the University of Michigan. Northern Michigan would be 26th if the poll expanded beyond the top 20. So I tell you what, that is a look at the top 25 preseason poll. I'm going to play some audio for you, and it's that of Grant Petoni. Entering his third year as the hockey coach here at Northern Michigan, had his weekly presser earlier today, talking about his team's matchup this weekend as they head down to Plymouth. They will take part in an exhibition with the U.S. National Development Team program. You know, when you reflect on the start of the last two seasons, um, the first year we started at Lake State, and you kind of, maybe throw that out new team new coach new environment um you know we didn't play very well um that game and going into last year i thought we actually had a good camp um but the first game of the year we just weren't battle tested and it, it took us half a game to kind of find our legs so uh, i'm looking forward to this game uh, we're playing a team that if you make a mistake they can make you make you pay um they're talented and it'll be good to get on the road and have a little dress rehearsal we're going to play everybody so um, you know, some guys will play more than others. Uh, I don't know exactly how much the top guys will or won't play, but um, it'll be some guys that's going to be really important, you know, especially the goaltending position. Um, it's their first chance to make an impression on, on their teammates and their coaches. 
Now, one of the biggest questions on the mind of Northern hockey fans, I'm sure it's on Coach's mind as well, is who will succeed Ate Tolvanen in net? Well, you got a few choices this year. Does anybody have an edge over the other? Coach addressed that going into this weekend. Yeah, wide open. Yep. Um, I, I would, uh, as of today, um, Kent and Hawthorne are um, are going to go and play in that game. So they'll, they'll at least play half the game. I'm going to start Nolan. Um, John will come in halfway through, and then we'll have a, a real evaluation on, on how they look in the game environment. So if you've listened to this show before, you know that this is a really special matchup this weekend for Grant Petoli and his Northern Hockey squad. Here, Coach talks about his relationship with Jim Johansson from USA Hockey and how the bond between those two led to this matchup. JJ was a friend and a mentor of mine. Um, I knew him, known him a long time since I you know, was in my teens, and um, you know, he's helped me a lot along the way and um, was instrumental in progressing my career through USA Hockey and um, giving me opportunities to, to coach um, different USA teams, uh, World Junior teams multiple times. And um, <clears throat> We were in Buffalo, and uh, he had asked me, he said, will you bring your team down to play us? And you know, he said it would mean a lot if you guys would come down to play in Plymouth, because I hadn't met a lot of people doing that yet, and I said, I- I'll do that for sure. Um, he passed away about a month after we made that, um, we had that conversation, so I called him, and I said, you know, I made a, a promise to that man, and um, he's a mentor of mine, and I'm going to keep my promise, so uh, we're coming to play next year. Now, in case you're unfamiliar, the U.S. National Development Program located in Plymouth, Michigan, brings in some of the best 17, 18-year-old American hockey players. They send teams to compete in the USHL during their regular season. They have some great talent. They've had some great talent go through the pipeline in the past, and Coach Petoni knows this group all too well. I've been on the bench losing to them before. Um, We were playing, I'll tell you the story. Um, I was running the D, and uh, we were playing. It was Matthew Kachuk and Austin Matthews and, and that crew. And um, we had, before the game, decided we were going to play a certain set of D against them. And um, they were just getting ragdolled by those guys. And, and we were winning in the third period. I kind of changed the D. And um, the next set of D went out and didn't do any better. Um, changed it again. <laughs> next set of D went out, and they ended up beating us in overtime. So um, they're talented. I mean, that group's good, and, and you see every year, uh, you know, last year they had eight first-round picks. There's not a team in the history of college hockey that's had eight first-round picks, so um, it'll be a good challenge for us. So, again, this will be an exhibition this weekend, a pair of games Friday and Saturday before opening up the regular season the following weekend with Michigan State. What is Coach looking for this weekend? How can he gauge if his team is ready to take the ice for real against Sparty? Uh, you know, I'm, uh, special teams are going to be important. Um, you know, you're still kind of putting some pieces together there. Um, we're still working through a little bit of line combinations, um, but I just want to see guys compete and I want to see them execute and, and make plays at high pace. And, um, you know, that's the, probably the biggest progression is they come from a summer where, you know, they've kind of been going at 75 or 80%. And the first two, four, three, four days of practice, the execution's not there because they can't get their hands to catch up with their feet. Then their hands and feet catch up for practice. So now hopefully um, getting a game under them, they can be ready for the opener. Well, earlier this year it was announced that Phil Ballou would wear the C on his jersey. He would captain the Wildcats this season. And Coach had nothing but good things to say about his captaincy in the preseason. Phil has been amazing. Um, you know, and, and we've been fortunate here that we've had good captains. Um, Phil is as good of a captain as I've ever been around to this point. Uh, he's been very inclusive in our team. 
Um, he's done a great job in the community. He's done a great job on campus. Uh, and every day, Phil's just, he's what you talk about in your program. He's a great student. He's a great kid. He's an All-American. Um, and he works. You know, so I think the progression for him <clears throat> was a little challenging to go um, from, you know, being an alternate to just being the singular captain for the whole summer. Um, we are going to name um, some other people to help him. Um, but as of, you know, the, the fall, he was kind of on his own. And, um, you know, I think he really grew into that role. It's the team chooses the captains. Um, it's their room. It's their team. Um, you know, I don't, uh, I don't feel that's the job of the coach to influence uh, what you feel the players, um, uh, who they select as their leaders. And, and then the ownership is, is on the group and on the team um, and on the captains. In total, there's going to be 11 new faces joining the Northern Hockey program this year. How many of them are going to have contributing roles? Coach addressed that as well. Um, I think all of them are going to have uh, a big impact on our team, um, especially some of the defensemen. You know, we had a um, kind of a mass exodus back there, and um, some of those guys coming in have played a lot of minutes in junior hockey. So some of those guys look good. Um, you know, the, the, the players up front, um, Gantos and Jungles, um, they're kind of different players. Gantos had a couple years of junior hockey and, and Jets coming out of high school. Um, but both of them, um, you know, they, they just make a lot of plays. And, you know, that's something that you can never do too much of. So um, they're going to have opportunities to play. They're going to be in the power plays. Um, they're going to play big roles on our team. Coach went on to address some of the guys that have stood out to him in practice, some of the returners who set the tone for the new guys. Um, you know, the, the usual suspects have been have been good. Um, you know, Craig Hednardi, Phil Ballou, guys that have had a history of, of playing well. Um, you know, I think sophomores that have really taken a jump, um, Lochran looks really good. Um, Vinny DeMay looks really good. Um, Ty Reedman looks really good. So those guys, you go into the summer, and I think you, you kind of felt confident that that Griff might be there but you know you were hoping that Vinny and, and Ty could get there and, and what you saw in recruiting you know and as freshmen you they'd show glimpses of that but now it's got to be an everyday type thing because there's a responsibility when you're a consistent top sixer and guys on power plays and different things so um, you know if you're talking about things up front that would maybe keep you awake at night would be the development of those guys but um you know we haven't played any games but in practice at this point they those guys look really good in case you're wondering the assistant captain roles have not yet been assigned coach is going to do that today privately with the team and coach is going to be a guest here tomorrow in the sports pen and he's going to give us the lowdown on who and why they were chosen for that role again tomorrow coach Petoni will join us in the sports pen and it's our hope that you join us as we continue to answer some questions and get you set for the 2019-2020 season of northern hockey well i tell you what toward the end of the day Coach transitioned over to Hockeyville and the chance to watch one of his alum, Troy Loggins, out on the NHL ice for the first time ever. Had some thoughts on that. Uh, you know what? He had good pop in his legs. I uh, I told Byron I was watching the game, and you know when Loggy's jersey's flapping, you know that he's dialed in. and um, didn't get a ton of ice, but um, in the minutes he played, I thought he represented himself well. I thought he played well, uh, stopped and started, and you know just didn't have the puck a ton. But, um, you know, I, he, he's going to have... Um, like any young guy, he's going to have some growing pains, but, you know, what he does in the American League will affect, you know, how his career going forward is going to be, and, you know, that's kind of the main stop for most guys, and um, hopefully he can he can have a good start there, and um, he can stick there, 
and then continue to grow his game from that point to become an important player on that team. So Coach was happy with what he saw from him in limited ice time on Thursday night. Now, albeit Loggins will likely start the year with Grand Rapids, but from Coach's perspective, Troy is right where he needs to be for a young budding star in professional hockey. If you look in the NHL, like very few guys make that jump that um, that they don't spend a little bit of time in the American League, and then those are elite players that are, you know, first round type picks. Um, you know, hey, Troy's going to have to earn it in, in in the American League, like kind of everybody has to, and um, but that's just how it goes, and I think he's got the right attitude. And of course, Coach acknowledged the connection the Red Wings have to the UP with head coach Chef Blaschel and the respect that they have for the Upper Peninsula community by bringing a couple of its own and Dom Shine and Troy Loggins back up to play, regardless of what their plans might be for opening night. Yeah, I thought I thought it was really that was really cool what the Red Wings did, really classy. Um, you know, I I don't know um, you know how their their camps went individually, um, but the fact they brought them up here to play in that game kind of shows you what um, the Red Wings, how the respect they have for the UP and the hockey culture up here, um, and that they're aware enough of it. So um, that, that was really cool. Some audio from Northern Michigan hockey head coach Grant Patoni from his presser earlier this afternoon. I tell you what, folks, we have one more timeout we owe you. Let's take it now. Coming up, we'll stick with hockey. If you can build your ultimate multi-decade team, who is going to be on that? I'll tell you mine, and you can tell me why you disagree with me next on ESPN-UB. Check out the UP's live and local sports talk show, The Sports Pen. Weekday afternoons at 4 on ESPN-UP and on the ESPN-UP app. If you missed any of today's show, get caught up on demand. Get our free mobile app from the Apple I Store or Google Play and just look up ESPN-UP. Or you can go online to ESPNUP.com. Get caught up there. I tell you what, before we move on with hockey, I want to go back to my last segment. I want to correct something. I said that Northern Michigan would be heading down to Plymouth this weekend to play two games, Friday and Saturday, against the U.S. National Development Team. I was incorrect when I said that. It is just one game on Saturday for Northern at the U.S. National Development Team in Plymouth. 7 o'clock puck drop, and they will be playing two pretty much every weekend from then on out. And it starts with Sparty when they come here in about a week and a half. One other update I want to get to before we get into a specialty segment that we stick to the ice with. We're going to stick with hockey because tomorrow's the start of the NHL regular season. A programming update, because we can now share these with you, start times and game schedules for the playoffs here on ESPN-UP for the coming week. And it starts on Thursday, and it starts... Right when we get off here in the sports pen, we're going to be joining St. Louis at Atlanta in progress. So right about 5 o'clock when we sign off here on Thursday, we will have game one of the NLDS between the Cardinals and Braves. And then that will take us right into the Dodgers hosting either the Brewers and the Nationals. And then Friday, this is what the schedule looks like throughout the day. We will have... ESPN-UP's coverage of Westwood High School football, of course, in the evening. And then later that night, we're going to join in progress the NLDS game two between either Washington and Milwaukee at the L.A. Dodgers. And then Saturday, we've got the ALDS on ESPN-UP, beginning with the Twins at Yankees at 4.30. And then at 8.30, it'll be the winner of the AL wildcard game at Houston. Both of those will be ALDS game twos. So I tell you what, let's go to the NHL ice. And this is something fun that came up. I just want to say right off the bat, I didn't put this list together. This was put together by NHL.com. But this is what they did. They took five players from each of the last five decades. So I got 25 names in front of me. And they say, 
build your team. You get to take the 25 guys that they have in front of you and build a starting lineup. A center, two wingers, two defensemen, and a goalie. From the 1970s, 80s, 90s, the 2000s, and the 2010s. So you pick one from each decade. One decade, you're going to have to go to the well twice until you have a starting lineup. So I tell you what, I will give you the group, and then I'll tell you which group that I put together. Who is my team? What team am I building? And then, once I give you mine, I'm going to open up the phone lines. Number to call in is 906-226-4570. You can tell me that I'm wrong, because... Somebody out there is going to disagree with me putting two Pittsburgh Penguins in there. Spoiler alert. If you want, you can call in and you can share your team with me. Again, I didn't put this list together. This was put together by NHL.com. This is not my opinion of who are the best five players from each decade because it's going to sound like it is. It's going to sound like I put a little bias into this. I'm not. I didn't. I am going to put bias into my team, the team that I put together. So without further ado, let me give you the... Five guys from each decade. From the 1970s, you have Bobby Orr, Guy Lafleur, Bobby Clark, Phil Esposito, and Ken Dryden. Again, if you missed them, if you're trying to write these down, play along, it's Orr, Lafleur, Clark, Esposito, Dryden. From the 80s, Wayne Gretzky, Mario Lemieux, Mike Bossy, Mark Messier, and Ray Bork. Gretzky, Lemieux, Bossy, Messier, Bork. From the 90s, Joe Sackick, Dominic Hasek, Timu Solani, Yarmir Yager, and Steve Eiserman. Sackick, Hasek, Solani, Yager, Eiserman. From the 2000s, Nicholas Lindstrom, Martin Brodeur, Pavel Datsyuk, Jerome Eginla, and Joe Thornton. Lindstrom, Brodeur, Datsyuk, Eginla, and Thornton. And from the 2010, Sidney Crosby, Eric Carlson, Alex Ovechkin, Evgeny Malkin, and Patrick Kane. Crosby, Carlson, Ovechkin, Malkin, Kane. I love Evgeny Malkin. He's one of my favorite hockey players. I don't know how many jerseys of his I have, but I like him. He's one of my favorite people to follow on social media because he's funny. But how do you get on this list? How does someone consider Malkin as one of the top five players of 2010, of this decade? I mean, I love Malkin. I'm glad that he's up there, but in top five? I don't know about that. They didn't put Connor McDavid in here. Maybe it's because he's only played half the decade. I don't know. I didn't make the list. NHL.com did. So I tell you what, you have those five guys from each of the five decades. Your task is to put together a starting lineup. You can go to each decade once, but one decade you're going to get to pick two players from. Now, this is my list. And again, after this, I'll open up the phone line. You can call in, give me your list, or tell me why you disagree with me. This is what I'm doing. I'm going to take two players from the 1980s, because Mario Lemieux is the reason I became a Penguins fan. He was my favorite player growing up. I have to have him, and I have to have Wayne Gretzky. I just have to. I'm putting all my position needs aside, and I just want to make sure I have those two on my team. Now, they're both centermen, so I'm just going to move one of them to wing. I'm going to move Mario to wing. And then, of course, I need Sidney Crosby on my list, because he's my favorite player right now, and he's another centerman. So again, I'm going to bump him to the wing. So the two Penguins are going to play on the wing, and they're going to be centered by Wayne Gretzky. So that means I need two defensemen and a goalie. I need to pick from the 1970s, the 1990s, and the 2000s. So I tell you what, I look at my goalie situation. There are three goalies that are on this list. You've got Dryden from the 70s, you've got Hasek from the 90s, and then Brodeur from the 2000s. All respect to Ken Dryden. 
He was a great hockey player. I love his mask. But when it comes to goalies, I'm going to go with the more recent pick. So for me, it's either going to be Hasek or Brodeur. So I'm going to take a look at which defenseman from each decade I would rather have. And I see Nicholas Lindstrom available. Knowing I could get him and I could still have Dominic Hasek in net, that sounds good to me. So I'm going to take Lindstrom from the mid-2000s and Hasek is my goalie from the 90s, which leaves a defensive spot. And the 1970s being the category I haven't picked. And that means I get Bobby Orr. So I'm pretty happy with that lineup. Up front, I've got Gretzky centering Crosby and Lemieux with Lindstrom and Orr on the blue line. And then Martin Brodeur, excuse me, Dominic Hasek would be in net. That is my starting lineup. That is my decade team. Again, phone lines are officially open here in the final minutes of the show. If you have a list that you put together, or you just want to argue with me on mine, I'm just going to tell you what. <laughs> I went on favoritism quite a bit, uh, but the number is 906-226-4570. I tell you what, I'll give you that list one more time in case you do want to play along, you want to put your own team together, and then I'll give you a little time to think about it. From the 70s, Bobby Yore, Guy Lafleur, Bobby Clark, Phil Esposito, and Ken Dryden. From the 80s, Wayne Gretzky, Mario Lemieux, Mike Bossy, Mark Messier, and Ray Bork. From the 90s, Steve Eiserman, Yarmir Yager, Dominic Hasek, Timu Solani, and Joe Sackick. From the 2000s, Nicholas Lindstrom, Martin Brodeur, Pavel Dantziuk, Jerome McGinley, and Joe Thornton. And then from the 2010s, Sidney Crosby, Eric Carlson, Alex Ovechkin, Evgeny Malkin, and Patrick Kane. That is the group. It's up to you. Put a team together that can dominate. And speaking of dominate, with the NHL regular season starting tomorrow, we get to see the last two NHL Stanley Cup champions go up against each other. That's one of four games tomorrow night. Who has the best odds to win the Cup this year? Who is the favorite as we enter a new season of NHL hockey? Well, let me give you those. The top 10 as far as the latest odds to win the Stanley Cup this year. 10th best odds on this list, the San Jose Sharks. Plus 1,600. Number 9, the Pittsburgh Penguins. Man, I wish they were a little bit higher. Window's starting to close on those guys. I want another cup. Number eight, the Nashville Predators. Number seven, the Washcaps. The Washington Capitals, can they win their second in the last three years? All right, now they have the seventh best odds as we get set to drop the puck on a new season tomorrow. Number six on the list, the defending cup champion St. Louis Blues, plus 1,400 odds, one night from the beginning of the season. We go to the top five. Best odds to win the Stanley Cup this year. The Colorado Avalanche are fifth. How about that? Compared to where they were a couple of years ago under Patrick Waugh? Give Jared Bednar a ton of credit for the job he did turning that franchise around. Helps when you get guys like McKinnon to come in there and reboost your lineup. Number four, the Toronto Maple Leafs. Until they get a defense, I don't know that I'd put them that high. Number three, the Boston Bruins. They made the Cup final last year. Got beat by the Blues train. Can they do it again? This They had the third best odds to do it as of right now. Number two, the Vegas Golden Knights. How about that? Vegas with a chance to get back to the Stanley Cup final for the second time in three years. And the team with the best odds as of right now to win the Stanley Cup for the 2019-2020 season. Entering plus 650, the Tampa Bay Lightning. Last year's President's Trophy winners. And then they get swept in the first round of the postseason. Needless to say, it was rather unemphatic, really disappointing, deflating. I tell you what, I firmly believe this is the last year on their window. 
In case you're wondering, the Detroit Red Wings came in with plus 10,000 odds to win the Stanley Cup this year. That is 30th among the 31 teams in the NHL out of just the Ottawa Senators. Here are Detroit's odds at getting to the postseason as a whole. Here are the odds actually round by round. This is a really interesting chart I want to share with you here in the final couple of minutes. The Red Wings, as it is right now, according to NHL.com, have a 39% chance at reaching the postseason. To win a postseason series, NHL.com has given the Red Wings a 19% chance. To win two series, 9% chance. To make the Eastern Conference Finals, that would be an 8% chance. To get to the Stanley Cup Final, just a shade under 8% of an opportunity to do so. And then to win the Stanley Cup, well, if you want to put a percentage to it, the Red Wings right now have a 4% chance to win it all this year. A lot can change in the course of a year, I tell you what. Got to be optimistic after what you saw at Hockeyville. With that, we are out of time, and I appreciate you tuning into the Sports Pen. As always, hope you enjoyed the show as much as I enjoyed bringing it to you. Don't forget tonight, we've got Major League Baseball postseason action. As the Brewers head to D.C., they'll take on the Washington Nationals in the NL wildcard game. And play-by-play is going to begin right around 8.08. First pitch set for 8.08. It's my hope you tune in. Thank you for tuning into the Sports Pen. Have a great rest of your Tuesday. Signing off from the ESPN-UP WZM studios in downtown Marquette, Michigan, I'm Tanner Hoops.